must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream. Welcome to Great Men Back Then. Here's your host, Lauren Scott. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Lauren Scott, and welcome to Great Men Back Then, the show where we talk about great people in American history. Today, we will be talking about Robert Frost, an American poet. Most of you probably recognize the name of Robert Frost, for he's pretty well-known and influential. One of his most well-recognized poems is The Road Not Taken, and we will actually be reading that today and discussing it a little bit. We will talk about the poem's meaning, as well as some misinterpretations that the poem often gets. Now, to introduce you to Mr. Frost, I will actually be reading from um, one of his poem books. But in the beginning of this poem book, it has an introduction uh, written by a man named Ken Moldsheen. So I will be reading his words for a great part of today's episode because I believe that his introduction really encapsulates a lot of who Frost was and many different parts of his life, especially maybe the more darker parts that most people do not know. So without further ado, let me jump into the life of Robert Frost. Few American poets are as closely identified with such a specific sense of place as is Robert Lee Frost, in his case, with rural New England and especially New Hampshire and Vermont. Yet Frost was originally a city boy, born in San Francisco on March 26, 1874. His New England roots were ancestral. Frost's father, William Prescott Frost Jr., was descended from a family that had originally colonized New Hampshire in the 17th century. Despite being something of a loose cannon who had run away to try and join the Confederate Army as a boy, the elder Frost had nonetheless managed to graduate from Harvard and worked as a journalist, teacher, and editor of the San Francisco Evening Bulletin. His hero was Robert E. Lee, after whom he named his son. Like many others before him, William Frost's relentlessness drew him to move west, bringing his wife, Belle Moody, with him. Belle and William were often at odds. They even informally separated for a time, with Belle taking young Robert East to visit friends and family. They soon reconciled, but because William was suffering from tuberculosis, they were forced to move frequently as they were unable to pay rent. Worse, he was often physically abusive to his son, his anger fueled by alcohol and his own declining health. Despite this, and despite Robert's own ill health as a child, he received a first-rate primary school education. Both Belle and her friend, Blanche Rakin, who lived with the family and was known to Robert and his sister as Aunt Blanche, were expert teachers, and they helped instill a love of literature in the young Robert. William Frost died of tuberculosis in 1885, leaving the family with just $8. Bell was forced to move 11-year-old Robert and his sister Jeannie to Lawrence, Massachusetts, where his paternal grandfather, William Frost Sr., lived. His grandfather, a mill supervisor, 
was an important man in Lawrence, and later in life, Robert would remember his disciplinary ways with distaste. There, Bell went to work as a teacher in nearby Salem. Robert and Jeannie were enrolled in local schools. Though Frost is known as a poet of quiet rural areas, urban Massachusetts was anything but peaceful in the late 19th century. Frost's aunt's nearby farm provided some escape and instilled in him a love of working in nature. He had already dabbled with raising chickens in San Francisco. This urban background was another contributor to Frost's poetic sense. He saw the countryside not as a native did, taking it for granted, but as a transplant. Each autumn blazoned tree and ice-rimmed pond was a new wonder to this young man who later told a San Francisco audience he knew the city as my own face. Only one who came to such a landscape with a new eye could see it as he did. Though Frost thought he would attend Harvard, his father's alma mater, his grandparents, perhaps fearing he would follow William Frost's wild example, persuaded Robert to attend Dartmouth. Feeling socially and academically isolated, Frost dropped out after two months. Real learning, he always held, was to be found outside of school, and real poetry was to be found in the cadences of everyday speech, not the meters of Virgil and Homer. Frost returned home, where he substitute taught for his mother, helping to manage her unruly students. By this time, Belle had been fired from her teaching job, and Robert was the family's only source of income. He variously tried his hand at teaching school, working in a factory, and writing for the local newspaper. Meanwhile, he was convinced that his fiancée Eleanor's time at college had caused her to become estranged from him. If there was a reason behind Eleanor's coolness, it was their mutual doubts about his being able to make his way in the world. Marriage in those days inevitably meant pregnancy and children to care for. You are listening to Great Men Back Then. I am your host, Lauren Scott, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today, we are talking about the legendary American poet Robert Lee Frost. In autumn of 1894, after appearing at St. Lawrence to deliver to her a hand-bound book of his poems and, to his mind, being rebuffed, he ran away to the Dimsmal Swamp on the Virginia-North Carolina border. The image of the wanderer in the wilderness, seeking enlightenment or oblivion, would crop up repeatedly in his poetry. The resolution to this adventure was rather more prosaic. He was discovered by some duck hunters who took him back to civilization. One can scarcely wonder why Eleanor had her doubts about such an impulsive, temptuous, and hard-headed young man. Despite the misgivings, Robert and Eleanor were married in 1895. Their first child, a son named Elliot, was born the following year. The Frost made their livings as school teachers, but their future was uncertain and they were constantly short of money. From 1897 to 1899, Robert tried college again, attending Harvard while working as the principal of a night school in Cambridge. He again left without taking a degree, partially due to illness, which may have been psychosomatic, and also because Eleanor was about to give birth to their daughter, Leslie. 
To make a living, he took up chicken farming. Frost's infant son, Elliot, died of cholera in 1900, when the poet was 26. Frost's grief and self-blame for the tragedy can be seen in his poem, Home Burial. I will read a small excerpt of that poem right now. He said twice over before he knew himself. Can a man speak of his own child he's lost? Not you. Oh, where's my hat? Oh, I don't need it. I must get out of here. I must get air. I don't know rightly whether any man can. And it's come to this. A man can't speak of his own child that's dead. You can't because you don't know how to speak. If you had any feelings, you that dug with your own hand, how could you? His little grave. Soon after, Frost's mother died of cancer in the sanatorium where she had been committed on account of her worsening mental state. The double tragedies may have provoked a move to a farm his grandfather purchased for him in Derry, New Hampshire. Four more children followed in those years. Carol in 1902, Irma in 1903, Marjorie in 1905, and Eleanor Bonetta, who died just days after being born in 1907. Frost was a failure at farming. He had no taste for the work at hand, kept irregular hours, and was hopeless at milking cows. He therefore returned to teaching, taking a position at the historic Pinkerton Academy in Derry in 1906. He remained at Pinkerton for five relatively stable years, publishing his poetry in increasingly broader venues and revising the English curriculum according to his own ideas. In 1911, his friend Ernest Silver invited him to teach at the New Hampshire Normal School, a teacher training college. The informally educated Frost style of teaching was quite... So basically what happens after this is Frost travels to England with his entire family. He was very discouraged that he was failing as a farmer and he kind of saw this as a, a last little speck of hope for him and his family and for him to be a successful care provider. And while he was in England, he was very successful with his poetry. And in 1915, when he returned to the United States, his reputation had preceded him. And upon returning, he found a success lauded by the literary world. We tend to think of Robert Frost as a national treasure, honored by Congress, named Poet Laureate of Vermont, nominated for the Pulitzer Prize for Literature 31 times and winning it four times the recipient of so many honorary degrees that he had the hoods made into a quilt and a speaker at John F. Kennedy's inauguration. The man behind this image was rather more complicated. The bleakness of the New England landscape was both mirrored in Frost's own soul and reflected in his poetry. He was, his entire life, subject to dark passions, depression, and possibly psychosomatic illness, and fits of anger and jealousy. This image dates as far back as the writings of Lawrence Thompson, his official biographer, who began his work in the late 1930s, but did not begin publishing until the 1960s. However, it is also certainly reflected in his inward-looking poems and his obsession with the self and his inability 
to fit into normal human society. Dark, depressed, and even angry and violent, Robert Frost truly had a lover's quarrel with the world. We know now that mental illness is not a character flaw, but is at least partially based in genetics and partially in environment. Frost's father was an impulsive, angry man with poor self-control. His mother was also notoriously unstable, given to mystical religious feeling, and needed to be committed to a sanatorium later in life. His sister Jeannie also suffered from depression or perhaps schizophrenia. Frost had to commit her to a mental hospital in 1920. She died there nine years later. His daughter, Irma, was institutionalized for mental illness in 1947, and his son, Carol, committed suicide. Eleanor's family had also had some tendencies towards mental illness. Frost's sister-in-law, Ada, suffered from deep anxiety or depression. Worse, Robert Frost was not less tempestuous and violent than his father had been. Years later, his daughter Leslie remembered her mother weeping while her father brandished a revolver. Thompson's dark view of Frost has since been somewhat corrected by later scholars and biographers, but he was far from an unredeemable monster. Rather, he was a complex man, a poet whose work bridged the 19th century and the more modernist work of the 20th taking the realism of the former age and applying it to a newfound sensibility. He himself would have separated his lived experience and his creative muse. His influence has been felt everywhere from New England poets such as Robert Francis and Richard Wilbur, to the Irish poet Seamus Heaney and George R. R. Martin, whose Song of Ice and Fire was inspired by Frost's poem Fire and Ice. So now that you know a little bit of background about Frost, um, how he was raised in an abusive household with an alcoholic father, and from a young age he was expected to support his mother, especially whenever she was no longer able to keep a teaching job, and he even failed his own family whenever he became a father and a husband to Eleanor. So he had a hard childhood he had a hard young adult life, and he's finally gaining success in 1915 with his poetry, and people are finally starting to realize that he is an American sensation, and he is going to be one of the greatest poets that the nation had ever seen. And so now that we know a little bit of his background, I'm going to read one of his most well-known poems. It is called The Road Not Taken. You are listening to Great Men Back Then. I am your host, Lauren Scott, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today, we are talking about the legendary American poet, Robert Lee Frost. Without further ado, let's jump right into this poem. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay, 
and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So I have oftentimes heard this poem to be interpreted as a person is looking at two roads and the road less traveled by is supposed to be symbolic of a decision that is not as popular. So the two roads symbolize two decisions and the road less traveled by is the decision you're supposed to make, but not many people want to make it because it's not appealing. And I was taught that interpretation when I first learned this poem in fifth grade. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school I was informed by my English teacher that that is actually not the proper interpretation of this poem. In stanza three, it says, And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden black. This poem is talking about how these two roads, they are symbolic for two decisions, but we don't really know if one is better than the other. And the proper interpretation of this poem is that in life, we are always going to be faced with difficult decisions. We're always going to have to choose one thing over another. And at times, we genuinely may be trying to do the right thing, but we don't know exactly what the right thing is to do. And Frost is saying in his poem that whatever decision you make in life, be confident in it and never look back. You can't make a decision and be wondering for the rest of your life what your life would have been like if you made a different decision. There will always be decisions in life that you have to make, but you have to have a peace that you know that whatever you have decided for yourself is the right thing and your life now is the best possible life you could have because if you spend your whole life wondering what could have been then you'll miss entirely what is in front of you and the blessings that you have been given because you're just wondering about the possible blessings that you have missed out on rather than taking advantage of the ones that are right in front of you. So there you have it. You have a little bit of background on Robert Frost, and we have also read one of his most popular poems, and you've received an interpretation of it. And shout out to my 12th grade English teacher, Tavner Threat. If my interpretation is wrong, you can take it up with him and not me, because he's the one who taught me this interpretation. But if you've listened to other episodes of my show... You may not be confused as to why I'm featuring uh, Robert Frost on my show, even if he's not the most obvious good man. The purpose of my show is to show a person and give them a fair opportunity for you to decide if they are great or not. I don't think it's fair to judge people in history from today's standards and I don't think we should do that with Robert Frost, although he was not perfect by any means and he had his dark side and he had his struggles. That's not a reason why we shouldn't respect him any less than he should be respected. The point of my show 
is to really show people how they truly are and show not just the aspects of their life that everybody knows about, but maybe the aspects that you've never heard of, the personal trials that they went through that made them the person that they are. And maybe then we can better understand just why they made the decisions that they did and perhaps even be less judgmental of those decisions since we've never gone through most of the things that he went through. And it is for all these reasons, because of his perseverance, because of his beautiful poetry, because he wanted to make a better life for him and his family, a better life than what he experienced as a child, that I argued that Robert Lee Frost was a great man. Thank you for listening to Great Men Back Then. I'm your host, Lauren Scott, on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.